And so I want you, if you would, to take your Bibles this morning, and uh, we're going to finish up this prayer of, of Paul here in Ephesians 1. And so I want to begin reading again in verse 15 just to remind us of the truth that we've already looked at in this prayer. And then we're going to look at verses 20 through 23 uh, this morning. So wherever you are, if you are able, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And uh, let's begin reading in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him on his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church." which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Father, I just pray that you would so etch this truth within us. And Father, I pray that as we look at these verses, we'd understand fully and we'd understand completely uh, that this mighty power, this resurrection power, this exceeding great power in which you have given us through Christ, uh, Father, that we'd understand exactly uh, what it means. And Father, I'll thank you and I'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, you remember we, we began looking at this prayer that many call a prayer of illumination. In other words, Paul is praying that these of the church of Ephesus, these saints, these ones that have been set apart as holy unto God, would have wisdom and understanding, illumination to know that all that Christ is to them and all that they are in Christ. Because listen, I want to say it again. You can know Christ but not know what you have in Christ. And if you don't know what you have in Christ, you're not going to walk in what you have in Christ. And so Paul's praying that they would have illumination to understand what they have in Christ Jesus and what Christ has done for them. And then he concluded, if you will, uh, Wednesday night, we looked at this, this exceeding greatness of his power that is towards usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. And so what we're going to look at now in verse 20 and 21 specifically is what is this mighty power that he has shed towards usward? What is this exceeding great power that he has shed towards us? And what is the working of this mighty power? What's it look like? What's it entail? And how can we know how mighty it really is? And I believe Paul lays it out in really four ways. He deals with the resurrection power of Christ. He deals with the ascension of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the position of Christ, and the authority of Christ, all to manifest 
His amazing, mighty power. In other words, if you want to know who Christ is in you, if you want to know the power of Christ in you, you must understand how God manifested that power and how he worked and did in the life of the Lord Jesus. And so this passage is going to deal with those aspects. Now, to kind of lay the groundwork for this passage, I want to quote an old Bible scholar from years and years and years ago, a man named Thomas Manton. And Thomas Manton made this statement about this passage. He says, Christ would come to the place... He said that when you find Christ's humiliation in his death, he said in contrast to that, you find his exaltation. His death was answered by his resurrection. His going into the grave by the ascending to heaven and his lying in the tomb by his sitting at God's right hand. And so one of the great truths that we see here is God manifesting his power taken the humiliation of Christ that he endured for you and I and in turn exalted him above the heavens and in turn his death and brought him from the dead. All the things that God done in his mighty power through the life of the Lord Jesus. Now, let's look at these passages together. I want you to look first at the supernatural power of Christ. The supernatural power of Christ. Now, notice what it says. Verse 19 according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The word wrought in Christ means that God manifested through Christ this power that resurrected him from the dead. Now understand, I made this statement last week or Wednesday, and I want to reiterate it here. The power that you and I enjoy is not a characteristic of God that God gives us. It's the person that God gives us. This power is the person of Christ. And so when we look at this resurrection power used here, we're talking about the supernatural power of Christ. God manifested through Christ this resurrection power. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. It's God that has this power, not Christ. Well, you've got to remember, Christ and God are one and the same. But at the same time, John 10, Jesus said this of himself. He said, no man taketh it from me, being his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I've received of my Father. So in other words, this mighty power that works in you and I, that Paul is praying we would be illuminated about, all of a sudden now he begins to exalt and to praise and to worship God for what this power looks like, and it's the power in which Jesus, through the Father, resurrected from the dead. That's the reason Acts 2 that we looked at a couple weeks ago says death could not hold him. And that's the reason the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, For as much then as children are partakers of the flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who brought fear of death, where the lifetime subject to bondage. Can you imagine today? that the power of God through Christ resurrected Christ from the dead knowing why Christ died. Now, I want you to understand, the death of the Lord Jesus was a judicial work. It was a work that was lawful in the spiritual realm. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing. When God placed your sin and mine upon the Lord Jesus, 
The sin that you and I committed had went against the law and the holiness of God. And therefore, that sin, because God is just, had to be dealt with. And it had to be a judicial work. And listen, God the Father was the judge. And God judged your sin and my sin in the person of the Lord Jesus. But now, so that's the judicial work that caused his death. So if his death was a judicial work, wouldn't we have to agree that his resurrection was as well a judicial work? And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, God judged your sin and my sin in Christ. That was the judicial work of his death. But at the same time, when Jesus died, God said, hey, I'm satisfied. The penalty's been paid. The price has been paid. And God threw down the gavel of acquittal. And God reversed the condemnation that your sin and my sin brought. And Jesus came out of the grave. Why? Because God was fully satisfied. And this, is that resurrection power. That power of resurrection. Now, notice the position of resurrection. It says not only did he raise from the dead, but and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. Now, this right hand speaks of the authority of God or the power of God. And so here's what God did. God not only took the Lord Jesus, brought him out of the grave. But at the same time, he exalted him. He ascended him. And when Jesus Christ, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus Christ ascended, remember the disciples sit there and look, and all of a sudden Jesus started ascending into the clouds. I got news for you. When he ascended, he didn't stop at the clouds. He went and sat at the right hand of the majesty on God. And now here's the amazing thing. All authority God's now given to his son. And Jesus is the vessel through which God exercises all his authority and all his power. And so what we find here is this glorious, amazing truth of how this power is exerted towards us, through us, and in us. Why? Because Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the majesty on high. And by the way, let me just throw this out for extra credit. Why did he sit down? Because the work was finished. The Bible says in Hebrews that the priest stood daily, ministering, bringing one sacrifice after another sacrifice, after another sacrifice, after another sacrifice. But this man, once and for all, and he sat down at the right hand of God. The finished work of the cross. And so what you find here, the supernatural power of God, you find it is the power of resurrection. But it also has the position of resurrection. As Jesus Christ is seated now, at the right hand, the power, authority of God is now exerted through the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want you to look at a second aspect of this, the superior power of Christ. Notice verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. So what exactly is entailed? in this position of Christ at the right hand of the Father? What exactly is entailed in this authority or this power in which Christ now utilizes and exerts through his church and you and I, the believer? Well, can I tell you today, 
It's a power that's far above. What does that mean? It's an exalted power. It's one that has been lifted up far above. Now, what are these principalities and powers and these words, might and dominion? Well, let me translate them this way. It could read this way in the Greek. Far above every rule, authority, power, and lordship. So in other words, Jesus Christ has been exalted above every rule, every authority, every power, and every lordship. In other words, there is nothing that is exalted about the person of the Lord Jesus. And you and I need to understand that when we come and we deal with spiritual warfare and we deal with all these things that we have to deal with as we walk up on this earth as children of His, you have to understand and I have to understand, is Satan a powerful foe? Yes. Is his demonic forces a powerful foe? Yes. But listen, we're identified with one that's been exalted above all those. And this principality speaks of angelic host. has a historical backdrop to it. You see, the Jewish people believed this. The Jewish people believed angels held the course of their destiny. And they literally worshipped, in many ways, angels. The Gnostics, who was a group that Paul was always having to deal with in that day. The Gnostics believed that the, the angels were the intermediaries between us and God. And so here's what... Paul comes along and and says, and and exalting this mighty and exceeding greatness power of God that is available to you and I, he says, hey, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ has been exalted above every angelic host, demonic or spiritual, and Jesus is exalted above every power and every lordship and every rule. And this is something that we must understand. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to how this applies to you and I. And you are complete in Him. Now you say, wait a minute, preacher. I thought God still sanctified me. He is. And you say, well, wait a minute. How can I be being sanctified if I'm complete? Because that is a positional truth. How God sees you is you are 100% complete in Christ. Practically, God's molding and shaping you in how He sees you. How? Are we complete in Him? Watch what it says. Which is the head of all principality and power. Because Jesus Christ is exalted above every authority, every dominion, every lordship, every principality and power. And we're identified with Christ. Then guess what? Principalities and powers cannot touch us. The powers of this world cannot touch us. In other words, you and I are set in Christ who is above all. And you and I are complete positionally as God sees us in Christ Jesus because of his exalted power. Well, let me show you another facet of this, this superior power of Christ. It's an exclusive power. You say, what do you mean exclusive? Notice what it says. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also that which has come. Now, what's this word name mean? Well, here's what it means. It speaks, the Greek word speaks of of prestige or notoriety. Now, here's the amazing thing. This word name that is named, that word name there is in the passive in the Greek. And you say, what does that mean? It means someone operated on 
the behalf of the other to make it happen. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, here's what it's speaking of. Every name that is named. In other words, everyone that's been given prestige and notoriety by this world, the world has accredited them as prestigious. The world has accredited them as notable. And here's the reality of it. Here's what Paul said. He said, hey, let me tell you about this power of God. It's exclusive to his name and his name alone. And it don't matter who the world lifts up. It don't matter who the world exalts. It don't matter who the world names as being superior. Here's the reality of it. Jesus Christ is exclusively superior to all. And so every authority in this world will bow at the face of Jesus Christ. They will confess Him to be Lord. Philippians 2, 9 and 11. Remember what it says. Wherefore God hath highly exalted Christ and given him a name which is above what? Every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hey, I want to tell you something. There is no name been lifted up exclusively above the person of the Lord Jesus. It's by Christ we're saved it's by Christ we're sanctified. It's by Christ we're going to be glorified. It is by His name that which you and I come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And His name is exalted above every single name. So you're starting to get an idea of this exceeding great power that's been manifested to us whether that appropriated moment by moment by faith. Are you starting to get an idea of, of, of exactly what the working of his mighty power, what it looks like, what it entails, what it means? Hey, folks, I believe with every ounce of my being that we've not even touched the hem of his garment of walking in what Christ has given us. And folks, I don't know about you, but I'm hungry. I, I'm hungry to walk in the fullness of who Christ is in me. And I hope and pray you are too. But let me show you one last thing about this superior power. It's an everlasting power. Notice what it says. Every name that is named not only in this world, in other words, this age, but also in that which is to what? Come. So in other words, this exclusive and exalted power of the Lord Jesus is not only something that applies in this age in which we live, but here's the reality. The reality of it all is it's an everlasting ex exaltation. It's an everlasting power. And listen, for ages and ages and ages to come, for eternity forever, Jesus Christ will be exalted above every authority and every other lordship. It's something that will, listen, let me put it to you this way. No one, nothing will knock him off his throne. No one or nothing can knock him off his throne. And here's the reality. If you're saved today, then guess what? The Bible says, and we'll look at this in Ephesians 2, starting tonight, that you are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Where's Christ at? At the right hand of the majesty on high. So if nothing can knock him off his throne, what makes you think anyone can knock you out of Christ? He is exclusive in his power. He is everlasting in his power. 
Well, let me show you thirdly the supreme power of Christ. So we've seen the supernatural power of Christ, the superior power of Christ that exalts him above all. But notice the supreme power of Christ. I want you to see this with me. And hath put all things under his feet. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Half put, aorist, hath already put all things under his feet. What is this speaking of? Well, I want you to see a couple of things. The placement of all things. Now, what do you mean, under his feet? Now, here's the thing. If you look at this verse real closely, this, this verse speaks of this, half put under his feet. That word under there is a Greek word that has an amazing meaning. It has the meaning of this. Not only does it speak of the supremacy of Christ, but here's what it speaks of, the subjection of all things to Christ. That's what the Greek word means, subjection of all things to Christ. So what does it mean? It means that Christ has the power by his exaltation being lifted up. He now, every principality and power, every name that has been named is under his feet in this sense. They are subject to obey him and him alone. And you say, well, preacher, wait a minute. That's not taking place in this day and age. Hey, listen, this is how God sees it as it's already accomplished. But yet the reality of it, the perfection of it, guess what? Will come in the glorification, in the millennial reign. And here's the reality of it. Everyone will bow. Everyone will confess him, Lord. And in the millennial reign, everyone will yield to him as Lord and King. It's an amazing thing. The amazing thing of it all is that all things are subject to Christ. Now, I want to ask you a question today. I have people that uh, bust my chops all the time when I make this statement that if you're saved today, you have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I have people all the time tell me, say, preacher, you're being too narrow. You're being too, too narrow with this. Hey, listen, I want you to know something. If Jesus is not actively overruling and overriding your will as Lord, you have not him in your life. And I want to make that as clear as clear can be. And, and I want to prove it to you right here. If all these principalities and powers and authorities and dominions are going to be subject to him, then what makes us think that God would allow somebody to be his in redemption and not be subject to him in a day-to-day -day basis? What makes us think God would allow that? I mean, if all these principalities and powers are subject to him under his authority, under his rule, under his control, then how in the world can somebody say they've been part of the bride of Christ and yet at the same time 
not subject themselves to his authority. And by the way, why did God call the church a bride to start with? Well, guess what? In your, in your physical marriage, now, y'all going to love me regardless, but here it is. The, the husband is the head according to God's design. The Bible says Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now, the Bible also says in Ephesians that the men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So it's not talking about the husband making them a doormat. It's talking about the wife willingly, out of love, submitting to the leadership and authority of the husband. And God says that we as the church are the bride. So who's our head? So what makes us think we can be saved? And not yield to his authority. You and I need to chew on that a little bit. And, and so the reality of it is this. Listen, let, let me take it one step further. You read the Gospels. What do you find out time and time again in the Gospels? Even the demons obeyed God. Even the demons obeyed Christ. Hey, you remember? Christ took the demons and literally spoke, cast them out of the Gadarene men, put them in the swine. And the demons got these swine, and the swine said, hey, I don't want nothing to do with this. And they jumped off a cliff into the water. You remember in the tabernacle in Mark's gospel? The Lord spoke, and the demon came out of that man. So here's the amazing thing. If a demon is subject to it, then how do we think that we, as his children, redeemed by his love, can be saved, be his, and not subject our will to his leadership, to his control, and to his authority. Oh, folks, we need to chew on that because the placement of all things under his subjection. Hebrews chapter 2 speaks of this, this culmination of all this he says, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. So is there anything that will not be under him? No. But then notice what it says. This speaks of the future aspect. But now we see not yet all things put under him. In other words, you look around in this world, and you look around, and you look at our our leaders of our countries. You look at our leaders in our Congress. Are, are they under his subjection? Oh, no, they're not, they're not obeying him. They're not subjecting themselves to him. But can I tell you something? One day they will. God has already said it to be that all things will be under his subjection. This is how God sees it. Notice the possession. Of all things, not only the placement, but the possession. You say, What do you mean the possession? Joshua chapter 1, verse 3. Real quickly, I'm going to deal with this. Joshua uses another analogy of what's under the foot. And in Joshua 1, 3, here's the analogy that God used with Joshua. He said, Everywhere the sole of your foot touches, I have already given to you. So how can all things be under his feet? How can all things be under his subjection? Because I want to tell you something. Read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And here's what you find. That the title deed to the earth belongs to Jesus Christ. No one else could open the book. No one else could break the seals. But Jesus Christ will be the sovereign owner of it all. 
And so not only is there the placement, there's the possession. And by the way, let me just say this. If you're saved today, the Bible says you've been bought with a price. You're not your own either. We belong to him. And this, this is the supreme power of Christ. Well, notice lastly, the sovereign power of Christ. So if Christ in his power, if it is supernatural power, superior power and supreme power, wouldn't it just make sense that it has to be sovereign power as well? I mean, if, if he's supreme above everything, and I'm going to use this term, listen, I believe this. Christ is not to be the greatest in our life. Christ is not to be important in our life. Christ is not to be just superior in our life. Christ is to be preeminent in our lives. In other words, when we compare where Christ is in our life, to everything else, including your family, your friends, your work, your church, Christ Jesus is preeminent above all things. He always is, and he always has to be. And because of that, notice what happens. Notice how this reads. I want you to see this, because this caught me. It says, and I put all things under his feet, and watch the wording here, catch it, and gave him to be head over all things, to the church. Notice it doesn't say gave him to be head over all things in the church. He said gave him to be head of all things to the church. So what's the difference between the two? Here's the difference. It speaks of the gift of headship. In other words, Christ is the head, is a grace gift of God. Now you say, preacher, is Christ to be over all things in the church? Yes. But that's not what this statement is saying. What this statement is saying is because, now watch this, because he is, he is supreme, because he is superior, because all things are under his feet, because he is above all principalities and powers and might and dominion, because he is exalted, because he's been rose from the dead. God has in his grace given this one that is head above everything to now be that for the church. So let me ask you a question. If you, had, if you had to choose somebody to manage your finances, would you choose somebody that has proven time and time again that they have the authority and the power and the wisdom and the understanding to make your finances be everything that they could be in a stewardship realm? Or would you just pick the phone book up and go to the yellow pages and close your eyes and go, I'm going to pick this one? You say, preacher, I don't understand. Get it. Here's what I'm trying to say. Because Christ is above all, God the Father saw his church, you and I that are redeemed, you and I that assemble ourselves together, 
And he says, hey, let me give them the one that's above all. Let me give them the one that's already conquered every principality and power. Let me give them the one that has wisdom above every wisdom. Let me give them the one that has power above every power. And let me give it to them as a gift from me to them that they wouldn't have to struggle and they wouldn't have to flaunt and they wouldn't have to fall and they wouldn't have to faint. Hey, let me give them the one that is exercising all my power as God. It's a gift. It's a gift. One Bible scholar put it this way. There is given to the church and for the church's benefit a head who is also head over all things. The church has authority and power to overcome all opposition. Why? Because Christ is that authority. And because her leader being the church and head is the Lord that is over all. Let me ask you a question. In your daily walk with the Lord, liberty as our daily walk as a church family, why in the world would we sit down and try to figure out the best ways to minister? Why in the world would we sit down and try to figure out the best ways to do this or to do that or to accomplish this or to accomplish that or to fill this need or fill that need when Jesus Christ is the gift of God to us who is over all things and can lead us and guide us in all things. Oh, this is a grace gift in which God's given. But notice how it words here. It words here, which is his body. Look at verse 23. So what's this gift to? His body. You say, preacher, are you saying the church is a body? It is. Let me put it to you another way. The church is a living organism. Who's the head? Christ. Who's over all things. Now think about it. If you, in some way, inflicted a wound to my head that damaged my brain, can I tell you what's going to happen? My body is not going to function correctly. In other words, what happens to my head is going to affect my body. So in other words, I'm ugly up here, I'm ugly down here. In other words, what happens to my head affects my body. So let me ask you a question. Why does churches today, why do individuals, people that are saved today go about their life determining what they think is right instead of going to the Lord and say, God, you tell me because you're the head. It's amazing. And so what it speaks of is this living organism that functions from the head being Christ Jesus. Notice a few verses. Let me show this to you. Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 11. And he, being the Lord, gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he give us these things? For the, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I have people all the time tell me, I, I don't believe in church membership. In other words, they say that I don't believe in, in being faithful and getting involved or connecting 
What is membership? Connecting. What happens if your arm decides, hey, I don't want to be a member of that body anymore? Notice what's said. He says he's gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Hey, if you're not connected, guess what happens? What God's give you, you've relegated to not be important to you. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the slot of men, or the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body is fitly joined together, connected together, and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make an increase of the body unto the edifying itself in love. Hey, I want to tell you something. Christ is the head, but you're connected to him. You've been made one with him. And because you're part of his body, he controls, he guides, he governs. And whatever the head does, the body will follow. Notice lastly, not only the gift of headship, the glory of headship, which is his body. Now watch this. The fullness of him. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I I thought Christ is the fullness of God. He is. But here it says the body is the fullness of him. You say, well, preacher, I don't understand. All right, so let me explain it to you this way. If somehow in a supernatural way I could take my head off, sit it right here, is that head, going to function without a body. Now, here's the reality. Christ doesn't need us. He's he's perfect and complete in himself. But God in his sovereign plan has determined that through redemption and to accomplish his perfect will, he's going to do it through the head that is connected to the body. So, in other words... When you and I as the church function as the church, then guess what? God's perfect will finds its fullness by God working through Christ, through the church, to accomplish his perfect will. Now, could God have determined to do it another way? Absolutely. Because God is complete in himself. But yet God determined to do it this way. So can I tell you, the purpose of redemption was not fulfilled until the church functions as the church. Because that's the purpose of redemption. And Christ, Jesus, is this for us. This goes back to what we looked at earlier, uh, back in verse number 18, where it says, we are his inheritance. In other words, we saw that we as the church, we're his inheritance. We're God's inheritance. But at the same time, he's our inheritance. And there's that joint inheritance that we have one with another. 
The same truth is speaking here. God has chose, even though he didn't need us, he chose to utilize. Now let me prove this to you. It says, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That word fill means to complete. And here's what it means. That the church, the body, is the fullness of him, is the vessel through which by he completes his will in a, in a way that is accordance with his perfect way. But how? Because Jesus fills us and Jesus completes us. So how do I walk in his will, in his ways for my life? Here's how you walk in his will and his ways for your life. You've got to understand that the only thing that completes you, the only thing that allows you and I to be a vessel at God's disposal to accomplish his will for his glory, his way, is Jesus Christ fills us completes us. And if you don't understand that without Christ, you're incomplete. But with Christ, you have all you need to walk in his fullness, to walk in his will, and to walk in his ways. So let me sum it up by saying this. So God determined from the foundation of the world that he would bring out from among the world an ecclesia, a church that encompasses every born-again child of God. And in doing that, God knew that when he brought us out of this world, we didn't have the ability to function in the manner in which he has called the church to function. We didn't have the ability to walk and minister to people in the things of eternal value. We didn't have the ability to speak truth of the Word of God to people in and of ourselves. We didn't have the ability in our own way of thinking to guide ourselves through the courses of this age and through the courses of this life and through the decisions that have to be made throughout the courses of our walking. So here's what God did. God took his son. He took our sin and yours and he placed it upon his son. Jesus died in our place. God satisfied with that death, rose from the grave, ascended him to the right hand, placed in him his own right hand, which is his authority and his power, and at the same time became our high priest before a holy God, and at the same time placed all things, all principalities and powers, every name that's named in this world and the world to come under his feet, and at the same time, he said, Now, let me give them this one that I've manifested my power in. To guide them, direct them, govern them, enable them, empower them. And so when I choose my way over God's way, here's what I've done. I've said, God, all that you've done in the death, burial, resurrection, ascension, exaltation, authority, lordship, and power of Christ. 
I don't need it. Now, we'd never say those words. But I remember my mama used to tell me all the time, Mama, I know you're listening. I listen. I listen, Mama. Our actions speak louder than our words. Have you ever saw Christ as your gift? Not just to save you. See, that's all we want to talk about. Oh, listen, he's our redeemer. He's our savior. But do you ever saw Christ as your gift to walk one foot in front of the other? One day at a time? One moment at a time? To accomplish his purpose, his will, his way, for his glory. Oh, aren't we blessed to be his. Father, I thank you and I praise you for the amazing, amazing provision that you've given us. And Father, no wonder Paul pleaded to you, Oh, Father, Give them eyes to see. Give them understanding to know. Give them wisdom. Illuminate their hearts. That they'd understand the exceeding greatness of your power. Your mighty power that's always at work. Which you wrought in Christ Jesus. When you raised him when you exalted him, when you enthroned him, when you placed all things under his feet, and when you gave him as a grace gift to us to be able to walk in this sin-cursed world in which we live. Oh, Father, I pray you've broke light onto us in these messages of what we have in Christ. And may we walk by faith to appropriate it moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision, step by step, that all we need, we already have. And his name is Jesus. 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 Amen.